Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today is March 22nd, 2023. We are continuing our series, Words for Life, and today's word is anointing. So how does God anoint today? Have you ever experienced a significant touch from God that has served as a transition point in your life? And then I think the third, more radical question to ask, how do people react to someone's life being radically changed? Yes, those are questions we're going to cover today. As we look at our word anointing. Now anointing is when God empowers. He pours out a special power upon someone. Usually producing dramatic change. It is often pictured in the Old Testament. When you pour oil upon a person. And you anoint them for a specific task. Most of the priests were anointed And today, we don't anoint pastors, we ordain them, we lay hands and pray for them. But anointing, it represents that power of God that is applied to a person, provides power to do a job uh, uh, for a purpose. But I'm going to look at today an anointing, the anointing from God that can serve as a transition point in our life. You know, for David, it meant transforming him from a shepherd to a king. We see a blind man that is transformed through the anointing of Jesus from blindness to sight. And that's an entire life change. It's a point of transition. So God touches our lives in a special way with his spirit. The Holy Spirit will fill us, heal us, give us power. When he anoints our lives for his purposes, we move beyond the expected, things that are comfortable and predictable. And instead, we move into a life of adventure, danger, and wonder. Yes, I know that may throw some people for a a little bit of a confused look. How can the anointing bring danger? But it does. Because it is not received well by the world. Matter of fact, the world can be quite hostile to people that carry the anointing of God. But it does bring adventure and wonder to it. And as I get into this, I also want to talk about second, third generation Christians. They have difficulty identifying 
major movements of God in their life. Now, I know when I say second, third generation, again, let me define that. We're talking about children or grandchildren that have grown up in Christian homes. They become believers early in life. They love the Lord and follow him. But I see that that this generation, though these generations, they're having difficulty identifying God moving in their life. Oh, sure, they can pick out God moving in someone else's life, but they have a hard time seeing that in their life. But the anointing, it serves as that marker or as a transition point in a person's life. The second, third generations, they need to experience the anointing. It helps mark those transition points so they can identify what God is doing in their life. And once the anointing comes upon you, you're never the same again. Your life is never the same. So we're going to read three scripture passages again. These are these are from the, the, the lectionary reading. These have been around for a long time. I think I'd be understating if I said that the lectionary has been around for 100 years. It's been much longer than that. But again, we're going to read this, and God is prophetically speaking to us about anointing. So we're going to look at Isaiah 42, verses 14 through 21. It reads, I've held my peace a long time. I've been still and restrained myself. Now I will cry like a woman in labor. I will pant and gasp at once. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and will dry up all their vegetation. I will make the rivers coastlands. I will dry up the pools. I will bring the blind by way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things I do for them, and not forsake them. They shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed. Who trust in carved images, who say to molten images, You are our gods. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as he who is perfect, and blind as the Lord's servant? Seeing many things, but you do not observe, opening ears, but he does not hear. The Lord is well pleased with his righteousness sake. He will exalt the law and make it honorable. Now, a question I ask on Sunday when I gave this message is, who is speaking? Who is speaking in this Isaiah passage? And, of course, I got a lot of nervous looks at first. And it's the Lord speaking. This is the Lord. This isn't the prophet speaking. This isn't, this is God doing the speaking. And because of that, it can be a little precarious for you because here's God saying he's held his peace a long time, that he's been still and he's restrained himself. But now, now the Lord says he's going to cry like a woman in labor, pant and gasp at once. And yes, there are prophetic elements of the cross and Jesus suffering on the cross for us and and But the point I want to see here, and we are talking about the anointing and how does the anointing fit into this. But you see, this passage is about God's feelings about the status quo. You know, this is how God feels about things that are just going as they're going. He doesn't like it. And that he's held his peace. He's been quiet a while, but he, he's done doing that. In, in other words, he's, he's reached a point where he is no longer just going to watch. He's going to 
intercede. He is going to interject himself into the situation. He lays waste to mountains. He's going to dry up vegetation. He's going to make rivers, coastlands, uh, dry up pools. Uh, number one, although these are physical things and God does do these things, there's so much symbolism here. Mountains and hills are places of authority. That's why demons won't false worship down on mountains and hills. It's, it's a place of authority. Uh, vegetation. We you know it was Cain that wanted to offer up the the product that he grew, the work of his hands. Um, he was God. He's going to dry up vegetation, the work of our hands, rivers, coastlands. Um, you, when you see that, you think think of the Mississippi River. What happens if the Mississippi River is a coastland? It means that either the west or eastern half of the U.S. is gone. It's just ocean. And here's the Lord saying he he changes boundaries. He changes our boundaries. Dries up pools, the places where we get our refreshment from, the places where we get, drink waters to have life. God, God can dry up those places that we think we're getting our life from. And he's willing to lead blind people. You see, this is anointing. When God interjects, when God breaks in, that serves as anointing. I know you're going, what, what? But it is because although God can break in and, and just do things all by himself, he's never done that much. He always chooses individuals and he anoints them to be agents of change. And he calls them to do things. Moses, Gideon, Joshua, David, Josiah. I mean, even Jesus himself. Here's here's God incarnate in flesh. He comes and he's baptized. He receives the Holy Spirit. He, he receives his own anointing to live our life as an example to us, how you and I should live. And he changed the course of human history. And so this passage here is really, again, describing God's feelings, that he wants to anoint people. He wants to make a difference. He's not satisfied to just sit back and watch. And that's sort of a a worldview so many people have, is that God is just watching this and he's not really involved. And that's not true. God is extremely involved. God doesn't like watching us very much without being involved because he sees the trouble that we're in and he is compelled by his love and his nature to intervene. And so anointing is not something that he's holding back on. And he's not holding back for the perfect person. His anointing he puts out in places to actually change things. Even in the scripture, he, he's going to lead the blind so that they can see. Um, listen, God pours out his anointing on people that are messed up. Because he's wanting to change them and change the situation. What doesn't please the Lord is that when he's pouring out his anointing, that we see what he's doing and yet we remain blind. When God pours out his anointing and speaks to us, when we sh- shut up our ears and we refuse to hear. So let's look at another passage. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 8 through 14. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit 
is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So what's critical that I really want us to see here about anointing is the purpose of carrying out the anointing. Because the purpose is to carry the light, the light of God. The light of God is his anointing. God doesn't anoint a person to flee darkness, but rather flood it with his light. And in doing so, expose the, quote, deed of darkness. God's not calling his followers to flee our culture, but to engage with it, to make his truth visible and apparent to all who are blind. We are anointed to live counterculturally. And we see this in this passage. Again, if you have a Bible and you're able to look at it, that's even better than listening. But it says, you are now light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. See, we once darkness, but now, why are we now? We are anointed. God has anointed us. We didn't become light because of our goodness. God gave something to us. He gave us his Holy Spirit. He redeemed us. He, there's all these things he gave us in, in the idea of giving us his light. But this process of empowering us is anointing. So he's anointed us. Now Now we are not dark. We're now light. We're not evil. We're now good because God has done this. And one thing about anointing, when he pulls, pours out his anointing upon us, is that we don't always understand anything. And notice in verse 10 it says, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. See, sometimes when God pours out, we're doing things that God wants us to do, but we don't understand or know. He's He's taking me from darkness to light. I don't I don't know. But you see, here's the word God said, we'll go find out what is acceptable to the Lord. We can find out because he has anointed us to do this. And in finding out, don't have fellowship with darkness, but expose it. See, now he's telling us, listen, don't fellowship with darkness, fellowship with light, expose darkness. Use your light. Expose it. He's already teaches. He's telling us to find out what's acceptable and expose things. And then verse 13, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Whatever makes manifest. I like that. It's like to expose it is to be made manifest and to make manifest is light. I like the way it uses his double manifest. And your mana, when you shine light on darkness, you're manifesting light. Hard to understand? Find out from the Lord. He's encouraging you. Find out. And therefore he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead. See, dead people don't rise. But when God anoints, suddenly life enters into the dead. Suddenly, the sleeper awakes. The dead rises. Christ will give you light. He gives us truth. He anoints us 
for these transformations. Now for our last scripture verse, and it is rather long, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. I ask you, please hang in there with me as we read this together. It says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he was sent and washed and came back seen. Therefore neighbors... And those who previously had seen the one who was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I, don't, I do not know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when they brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. And they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. But the Jews do not believe concerning him that he has been blind and received his sight until they called his parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked of them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. And his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, and the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know this man, that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you do not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began and has been unheard of, that anyone opened the eyes of one who is born blind. If this man were not from God, He could do nothing. Then they answered and said to him, 
You were completely born in sins, and you are teaching us, and they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they cast him out. And when he found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who may see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were, were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. Thank you for hanging in there with me as I read that that was an entire chapter's worth of reading. But it's an excellent example of a transformation, of an anointing being poured out on an individual's life and what happens. See, it's a blind man who is anointed by Jesus. It says Jesus spit in the mud, picked it up, made it clay, wiped it in his eyes. As a matter of fact, when it says it wiped it, it says he anointed his eyes and then told him to go wash it off. And he goes and he washes it off and suddenly the man born blind can see. See, the anointing is a point of transition. This man went from a a life of darkness and blindness to a light of sight, vision. And how do people react? That was one of my first questions. How do people react when someone's life is radically changed by the anointing? When the anointing shows up, it gets reactions. Everyone has a reaction. I don't look at some of the reactions here. See, the first one is his neighbors and friends. How do they react to the change? Well, they they couldn't really believe this dramatic change. They had to debate the validity of it. Is this really happening? Did this experience really happen? And it's funny, because these are neighbors and friends. And some of them, when they looked at him, Actually, it wasn't even the most experience they doubted. Well, they doubted the experience, but they doubted it so much that they refused to believe that the same it was the same person, that they knew this person. It says they were neighbors and friends, and yet neighbors and friends suddenly began claiming they didn't even know who this was. Like, this, this can't be the, the blind man. And so they're going to debate it. Some are, some are receiving it, some are not. Maybe you've experienced this. God has radically changed your life and suddenly people that you thought, your friends, they refuse to acknowledge it and so they begin, are you really you? What's going on? Second group we want to look at is the parents. Now his parents, they didn't disown him. They, they knew this was their child, their former Son, I mean, not a former son. It is their son, excuse me. They weren't disowning him or saying he's former or something like that. But they were extremely concerned with the repercussions of what had happened to their son. They, what's socially, politically, uh, culturally going on? How's that going to affect them? Now, I say politically, 
we live in this country here and and you know if you change your political affiliations and most people doesn't mean a lot i know there are some extremities that they refuse to sit down with anyone that thinks are involved in politics but in other parts of the world if you're in with if you're aligned with a political party and you sit down with the wrong group, they could kill you. Uh, and, and, and this is one of those times when who you align yourself with in politics could mean life or death could mean, where do you get your next meal? Do you get, it's a big thing as well as the social, the cultural, uh, to be Jewish and thrown out of a Jewish community, uh, where do you go? You're, you're, you're completely lost because this is, this is everything in your life because the Romans aren't going to take you in. Most Gentile peoples are not going to take you in because they only see you as a Jew. And so the Jews throw you out. Where are you going to go? Um, and so his parents were extremely concerned. And so while they might embrace the experience with their son in private, they were not about to do it in public. And so when brought in for questioning by the authorities, they just sat on the sideline. They said, uh, he's old enough, ask him. He's an adult, ask him. You know, we don't speak for him. They were more than happy to let their son go to prison for what happened rather than intervene for fear what might happen to themselves. Have you experienced this with your family? Have you seen God radically change your life and you have family? That although they may believe that something's changed in you, they're not willing to participate in the experience. I want to get religious leaders, and we really see two different types of religious leaders. And I'm going to change it from religious leaders to religious people. Because yes, some of them were leaders, but not all Pharisees were leaders. Pharisees could, you can just be an average person and be a Pharisee. Um, it, it was more the group you're with. And I want us to see the religious groups because the same religious groups exist today. See, in one of these religious groups, they categorically denied the event, the anointing, the healing on this man. They they deny the authenticity of the healing. I like that. Authenticity. In other words, they weren't saying, okay, you can see they didn't they weren't denying the obvious. They just denied it was an authentic healing. This must be a fake healing. You must be a con man. You must be a and so that's why they were going, Well, who can testify that he was blind at birth? You see, they, they want to deny that that was true. It must be a con. It, it's a plant. He, it was some sort of magician's trick. Um, we see this a lot. God will heal people in services, and yet there's a religious crowd that begins to immediately look for it's gotta be some type of con. It's gotta be some type of con. And they they immediately attack the authenticity because as far as they're concerned if it was authentic it would have been through our group not his group um and 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 they deny that you know they also deny the anointing because it doesn't fit into their theological box again if it was in their group with their things they'd be happy with it but it's not inside their theological framework of what they understand and therefore they did not existed. We also see another religious group. And this group is filled with pride and ignorance. And they would rather choose to criticize and ostracize the one being changed. Notice they immediately, this group immediately just said, well, you're a sinner. You're just, you're just a stupid sinner. 
and you sin, and that's why you're blind, and and forget the fact that you were healed. You know, you were you were born this way because you're a sinner, and you're you may you may have sight now, but you're still a liar and you're still a sinner, and and we don't want to receive anything from you. And they and and they they attempt to tear him down. And listen, it's the same thing. God can God can anoint someone. Heal them, but remember, I'm talking about points of transition where the where God's power overshadows you, and your life is changed. You're at this transition point, and it changes, and suddenly people start attacking your character, and not just your character, but they really like to point out your old life, what you were before God changed you, before it was poured out. I. I we we have a training school here. We want to train up missionaries and ministers. I can't tell you how many um, want to come here, but sometimes they're scared because they go, yeah, but you don't understand what my past is like and what people are going to say. And my words of encouragement is going, do you want to live your old life or your new new life? Jesus has offered you new life. Are you going to seize that and live it? Or are you going to live in the past and in your sin? And, and that's, that's what happens here. This is the, really the voice of the enemy wanting to discourage you, put you down once you continue to live that way. You know, let me use an extreme example. If a prostitute suddenly came to the Lord Jesus and he transformed her life. And, and a year later, if you met this, this woman, she doesn't even look the same because God's radically transformed her you know from from something that was ugly on the street to something that's just beautiful and looks pure in front of you why why if god suddenly called her to do something she should say i can't do this because of my past she should embrace the newness god has done something new and she should follow him wherever he's going to lead I mean, that's why he's anointed you. He's changed you for a reason. Yes, he's he frees us from sin because he loves us. He wants us to live with them forever. But he also has a purpose in mind. We were born for a reason. No one is here an accident. God created us for a purpose. We are vessels to fulfill his purposes. All of us. All of us have a purpose. And we can't allow the sin from the past to dictate who God is calling us to be and that we should pursue. And that brings us to the blind man. How did he react to God's anointing? You know, God healed his sight, changed his perspective. Obviously, he believes the experience because he can see. But he wasn't afraid to embrace the Lord. He wasn't afraid to testify to the truth. He wasn't afraid to face opposition. Notice that when these religious people were calling him names, calling him a liar, trying to get him to deny things, trying to get him to tell his story again and again so they could further mock him, notice that his blindness wasn't just a physical blindness. It was a spiritual blindness because yes, the man can physically see, but he was really beginning to see who these people were. Understand what I'm saying here. The anointing, although he can do things physically, it's really about spiritual things inside us. And this blind man began to see what they were. Notice the blind man didn't know who Jesus was. 
he knew that a man named Jesus did this and that he was healed, but he didn't know him. He didn't understand. Remember Isaiah says, or Ephesians, excuse me, Ephesians says the the seek understanding from the Lord. If we don't understand, we should seek him. We should, we should, we should go to him. We should go to the Lord for this. He didn't know. And his neighbors and friends didn't understand. And so they went to the Pharisees. Why did he go to the Pharisees? Well, because the Pharisees were the ones that were in, engaging with the normal people. I mean, they were extremely religious and they're trying to put people in religious bondage, but they were the ones interacting with the common people. And so they just assumed something miraculous has happened. We don't understand. Let's go to the, these people here and find out what they think. They know things, right? And he goes there and this event happens and he begins to see. See, he's seeing now that people he thought were friends, people he thought were authorities and new things. He's beginning to see who his friends are and are not. And he's also beginning to see the Pharisees for the religious um, evil that they are. That this, this, this is not a religious authority that's there for his benefit. This is a religious authority that is there to actually harm him. And, and, and when he sees this and they're asking us to tell the story again and they've been ostracizing him, uh, you know, he, he goes, he goes, I already told you, you do not listen. See, see, religious, you understand religious system because it just doesn't listen. Um, you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? And you see, when he said this question here, um, there's things here that we sometimes don't understand. When he said, do you also want to become his disciples? This is verse 27. He's saying, I'm one of his disciples. I will follow this man, Jesus, who did this, whatever he teaches. See, he's telling them that he's rejecting them. He's rejecting them and their teaching because they don't know anything. And they're, and because they don't know it, they're now, they're now criticizing him for being the recipient of the miracle. And of course, this inflames them, and and they they understand. You know, this is just not me making this up. The Pharisees understood him that this is what he meant, because um, and how they would respond because they answer him, say, "You are his disciple, but we are Moses." See, they're they're acknowledging his question of him claiming to now be a disciple of Jesus. See, this man already understands that he's going to follow Jesus, even though he's never actually seen Jesus. But he's just experienced the anointing, the power of God that's come upon him and changed him. He's acknowledged this. And, of course, the these religious people, when you do this, they just cast you out. They just cast you out. And, of course, he's willing to be cast out because he understands that this person has opened my eyes. This person has changed my life where you have not. Why should my life be dictated by someone who cannot change it? I should follow the man who can change my life. And of course, because of this, you know, there's a scripture in James I love. It says, if we draw near to God, God draws near to us. You see, if we don't understand, all we have to do is go seek him out and he'll show us. If we, if we seek we shall find. If we seek out God, he draws close to us. See, this man, in this instance, when it came, he didn't understand anything. But you see, by him identifying with this Jesus, even though he didn't know, Jesus drew near him. Because right after this happens, Jesus finds him. Jesus draws near to him, and Jesus brings further revelation 
Jesus tells him, I am he. I am the Christ. I am the one you want to to worship. Jesus gives him this information. How does this man receive it? He worships him. He follows Jesus and he worships him. And then it ends with some of these Pharisees that are with Jesus. There are Pharisees that are with and following Jesus. And they say, are we blind also? Now, let's just get a point. These Pharisees that are following him, they're following him either because they're interested in what he's saying, they're trying to learn more they want to believe. And we understand most of the first church were converted Pharisees. Paul was a converted Pharisee. A lot of Pharisees were converted after the resurrection. And so these might have been honest Pharisees like Nicodemus, you know, wanting to know the truth. Or maybe these were Pharisees looking to entrap him. We don't know, but these are Pharisees that are following Jesus. Are we blind also? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. Now, understand this. He wasn't trying to say that if you just, if you're just blind to everything, you're without guilt. You're without sin. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that if you were truly blind to the situation, then there was no sin in your actions. But these Pharisees and the things, they weren't blind. They weren't blind to the situation. They could see this is a man who can see. And they can see the testimony of the parents. They can see the testimony of friends, that this man was a blind beggar. And now they, they can see these things. What they refuse to see is the truth. And because they refuse to see the truth, that's, that's, that's the sin that's accounted to them. This is, this is it. And when he says, but now you say we see, you see the religious people say, oh, we see, but they really weren't seeing. See, religion, this this thing of saying, I'm always right, I'm always right, I'm always right. I've known people, they always try to one-up you on something. We need to break out of this pride and arrogance that wants to do that. And really behold the truth of God, the light of God. And that truth and light is given when God breaks in, when God intercedes and changes us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for us to be able to get together in this time and talk about the anointing and the change you make in our lives. Father, I pray, God, for those listening, God, that if they've never experienced your anointing, your changing power, that God, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that you'd pour out your spirit upon their life, God, that you'd bring about a point of change, a point of transition, something that will mark their lives that they've met you, that they've experienced you, God, and they now have an opportunity to chase you, God. Father, I pray that they would respond to that, just like this blind man, God, that they would pursue you, God. They don't have to have understanding, but they, they would pursue you. And Father, for those who have experienced this, God, and they've experienced friends and family and parents and sometimes things that are disturbing and 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 so discouraging father i pray that this will encourage them god that father that you're revealing truth god who are who are people who seek you out god who are their real friends god and 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 how if they follow you you always meet and provide for them god lord i thank you god that you've called us for your purposes god and you've done these things in our lives because you love us god and you want to intervene on our behalf god we give you praise in jesus name amen you can check out other podcasts on our website, www.christianimpact.net. And until next time, 
God bless. Yeah.